0: So, we are in the season of Lent. Um, Lent is this season between Ash Wednesday, um, which we had an Ash Wednesday service this year, and some of you came to your first ever Ash Wednesday service and said, I thought this was something only Catholics did. Um, uh, So, Ash Wednesday is this time that marks a 40-day journey towards... um, Good Friday, towards the death of Jesus on the cross, and then ultimately towards the joy of Easter. And the reason that we celebrate Lent as a church, and the reason we do weird things like responsive readings, people are like, "You seem so low church." You know, you sing, you've got a band, and all this, and then like you sometimes it feels like my grandma's church because we're doing uh, we're like reciting together. Um, The reason we do that is partially we're trying to change things up a bit. So during these seasons like Lent, it turns our hearts and our minds. Um, towards the sacrifice of Jesus and calling us to live a different way. And so during the Lenten season, we'll often have a sermon series um, that is a bit introspective that calls us to ask, the quest- ask questions about who we are becoming and who we are. Um, and so during this season of Lent, I want us to focus just a bit on who Jesus is and who Jesus is to us or what Jesus means to us. Now, if you don't know this, um, Jesus is kind of a pivotal person in the history of the world. Like, Jesus literally splits the calendar in two. It's been about 2,018 years since Jesus was born. Now, Jesus means a lot of things to a lot of different people. For some of you, for some of you, Jesus is an incredible teacher. He is somewhere near the Buddha, maybe slightly better. Um, And for others of you, He is a God who died and saves you from your sins, full stop. Everything else about Jesus' life is simply commentary. But I want to posit that Jesus both provides salvation and victory over sin and death, but Jesus also shows us a new way of living, a new way of being in the world. Now, if you've been around the church for any time, you've probably heard language like, Um, discipleship and someone might have asked you, talked about following Jesus. There's all these kind of churchy words that um, we use that often seem like empty language. So what I want to explore over the next few weeks of Lent is what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? Or put simply, what does it mean to reorganize your life around these three goals? And you might want to jot these down because we're going to keep coming back to them. But what does it mean for us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Because becoming a follower of Jesus is not just an event on Sunday, but it is a way of life. It is a way of life and community centered around the teachings of Jesus. And to live this means we need to be transformed from the inside out. Now, some of you have a complicated relationship with Jesus. Some of you at one point in your life were like totally sold out to Jesus. Maybe in high school you were known as a Jesus freak and you went to Wednesday night church and you carried a giant Bible under your arm to class. There are some of you who did this. I know I made fun of you when I was in high school. Anyway, it's not important. Um, that's too far. Anyway, that's what some of you are. But, but the person that you were that carried the Bible to class with you That fire and fervor is gone. And and for some of you, you don't even know if you believe anymore. And for others of you, you have decided that you don't believe, but you keep showing up partially because it's what you've always done. For others of you, you believe, but it's stale, right? Like you are just going through the motions. And for others of you, you have never believed. Now, some of you, you've never believed because you grew up in a family that never believed, and for whatever reason, you decided to show up here this morning. For others of you, you grew up in a family that believed and maybe even went to church your whole life, but in the back of your mind, you never really believed. You never really bought in to the Jesus story. And what I love about the table is that we provide space for people wherever they are on their spiritual journey. We say one of the, our our mission is that we want to call people to become authentic and thoughtful followers of Jesus. And that word authentic that we've used since the beginning. Sometimes I think we, I would prefer we'd use vulnerable because what we mean by that is that we can be open and honest about where we are on our spiritual journey. See, because the church I grew up in, even if you had doubts, you hid those doubts because if somebody else found out that you doubted, they might think that you were somehow less than. And so we like to use our spiritual spiritual credibility to puff ourselves up and so even when we didn't believe and even when we did have doubts, we just talked like we believed even more. And so wherever you are in your spiritual journey, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, my request is that you would just open your hearts and your minds to the person and the message of Jesus. Just for a moment, wherever you are, like I, I know you've got questions, right? There's things like you haven't quite worked out, like I don't know if I believe in, you know, and then you can fill in whatever the piece is. Well, that seems like that seems a little far-fetched. So you're telling me this dude died and then he raised again. Or you're telling me that like this guy's hand was withered and all of a sudden Jesus touched him and is healed his blind people start seeing. Right? And you've got all your questions. I get that. But during this series, can you just open your hearts and your minds to what Jesus might have to say? And then at the end, you can decide, you know what, I, I, I'm gonna go back to being closed off again. But just for a moment, would you open yourselves up to allowing God to maybe do something new. Does that sound good? Okay. So it's always been difficult to follow the way of Jesus. It's always been, right? It's never been easy to be a follower of Jesus, but our modern digital urban world has made it even a bit more complicated because we are so distracted. We are so distracted by the devices that we have in our pockets and the things that we wear on our our wristband. We're so distracted by the news and fake news and all the other things going on in our world. It seems that there is chaos everywhere, and there are all these things competing for our energy and for our allegiance and for our headspace. We are more distracted than probably any people in human history. And so even though it's been more difficult to follow the way of Jesus, or it might be more difficult, there's also never been a time where it is more important to follow the path of Jesus, to become students, to become disciples. Because in a world of division, and disruption, and chaos, I believe that the message of Jesus is all the more important. And this is, I'm getting a bit far from my notes, but one of the things is when you go and read about the life setting where Jesus appears in, it is not that dissimilar from our own. Maybe they did not have running water or electricity or the modern convenience of a beautiful iPhone, but but sociopolitically, it was an incredibly disruptive time where you had all kinds of political disruptions going on because Israel was occupied by a foreign power and they are unhappy about this. So constantly there is some sort of uprising. There is violence in the streets, so you have the sociopolitical chaos going on. And then on the other side, you have religious chaos going on because in Israel there's this question about what does it mean to be a true what does it mean to be truly the people of God? Today we might say, what does it mean to be a real Christian? Because some of you The question you're having is if I am a Christian, how am I so different from this person over here who also claims to be a Christian? We claim to follow the same God, but based on your Twitter account, we are as far apart as we could possibly be. So I believe that Jesus speaks into a situation not too dissimilar from our own. And so here's the big idea. Here's the big idea for today's sermon. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 35. I, I hung out with Jeremy a couple weeks ago, and we were debriefing the service, and um, I said, is there anything in the sermon that, you know, that, that connected or didn't connect? He's like, one, one note. He's like, when you give people a scripture reference, give them a second to flip to it. So... Um, This is me stalling, so you can flip to John 1. Um, And we're going to go to John 12, if you want to go ahead and put a finger there. John 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Another way to say it is, look, the one we've been waiting for, look, the Messiah, look, the one who we have placed all of our hopes and dreams upon, the one who we've been waiting for for literally generations, look, he is just in the distance. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. This is, by, by the way, this next line is one of my favorites in the Gospel of John. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and says, what do you want? Right? Because... <laughs> The disciples are creeping on Jesus. And anytime you're walking down the street and there are people creeping on you, you want to turn around and it's like, what do you want? Why are you following me, you weirdos? (laughs) This is such a human moment for Jesus. What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Which also, you've been creeping on someone, then they ask you where you're staying. Like, you do not respond. (laughs) But Jesus being Jesus he knows he's okay because God's got his back so he replies and this is like his reply becomes is a standard refrain in some way or the other all throughout the gospels he says come he replied and you will see he also never really speaks clearly right like instead of saying yeah I'm at you know giving his address come and you will see and, and Jesus invites his disciples to come along and essentially what he does is he says come and hang with me come and kick it Let, let's spend some time together So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. There's not like some deep spiritual thing. He didn't come say, let's go meditate together. He just says, come and let's spend the day together. And it was about four in the afternoon. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me, follow me. This is the other refrain we find in the gospel. It's not, Jesus rarely ever says, hey, get everything right, become perfect, believe all the right things. The invitation, it always begins with simply a request to follow. Just follow me. You want to know what I'm like? You want to know what I'm about? Jesus doesn't say, hey, by the way, so I've got the scrolls here. Here's Isaiah. What is your belief about this particular passage? And then depending on how they answer, Jesus says, okay, you can follow. Or he doesn't even ask them about how good they are at praying. In fact, we know the disciples were terrible at prayer because they have to later ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Rabbi, we don't know how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? The invitation is simply this. It's simply to follow. It is simply to begin a journey following after Jesus. Jump down, verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Bethsaida. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the, the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. We have found the one we've been waiting for, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph and immediately immediately Nathanael replies Nazareth are you kidding me the one we've been waiting from came from Nazareth that's like a redneck backwater town nothing good comes from Nazareth and Philip replies come and see Look, look. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm not going to try to make some great philosophical argument for, like, why he's the one. Can you just come and see? Can you come and experience? Can you come and just hang out with this guy? Because I guarantee you, if you come and you spend a few moments with him, your life will be transformed. Come and be with me. Come and hang. It's not overly spiritual. It's so natural. It's so earthly. Jesus says, just come and chill with me. Now, the question is, for us modern folk who seem to be about 2018 2018 years removed from the birth of Jesus, how do we hang out with Jesus? If we need to be with Jesus, and the reason we need to be with Jesus is because, well, we become like who we're with. This is why it's important to be part of Christian community. This is why your friends matter. The people you hang around with will determine your future, full stop, right? That's just, that's how it works. And so the question is, how do we hang with Jesus? Now luckily, Jesus helps us give a glimpse of the answer to this question because as he begins to near his death in John's gospel, as he begins getting reflective of himself, realizing that the end is near, he then begins to give us some clues. Turn with me to John chapter 14. And he says, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another Advocate. Now advocate's slightly difficult to translate from uh, Greek to English. It essentially means another like me. I will give you another like me to help, you be with, to help you be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another essentially like me to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And he continues on, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I do not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Skip to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I said. This is why if you're trying to follow Jesus without, being, without understanding the Spirit, without connecting with what the Spirit is doing in and, of your, in and through your life, it's going to be really difficult. Because the Spirit will remind you of everything I have said to you. Then Jesus says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. You might want to underline that. I want to come back to that. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not Give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. I wonder if so much of the the anxious ways that we respond, particularly as Americans—I'll speak just to our context—so many, so many of the anxious ways that makes us vote in particular ways and makes us resist particular people. I wonder if we don't do it because we don't follow Jesus' call to be not afraid. According to Jesus, the way that we're with Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. We are with Jesus through a connection with the Spirit. There is no 10-step formula, much to my chagrin. I prefer something logical and linear. If Jesus had only given me check boxes, I would be so much better off. At least I think I would. In John 15, we're not going to read it today, but in John 15, um, he essentially says, Uh, he uses this metaphor, and part of the reason I'm not going to use it, I'm not going to read it because we get kind of caught up in this metaphor because Jesus is always using agricultural phrases and he talks about vines and branches and being grafted and all this fun stuff. You can go read it later, John 15. But in John 15, Jesus uses this Greek word minnow ten times in like four verses and it essentially it what it means is abide with abide with and over and over Jesus keeps saying abide with me abide 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 in me the way that we're with Jesus is by abiding with Jesus by abiding with the spirit now all throughout church history and even throughout scripture various um, words are used for what it means to abide with Jesus or what it means to abide with the Spirit. Paul talks about it this way, to pray without ceasing. In everything you do, you create a habit, a spirit where you are connected with the Father. The, um, the Catholics or the mystics call it contemplation. There's a guy named Brother Lawrence. If you haven't read the works of Brother Lawrence, um, his most famous book is Practicing the Presence of Jesus. He worked in a monastery in Paris in the 15th century. Um, But Brother Lawrence called it Practicing the Presence of Jesus. He was a dishwasher in a monastery, and his Writings, his letters that he wrote to people have literally been preserved and, and, and read for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years because there was such power in these simple words that a dishwasher in a monastery wrote. And his whole goal, his whole. Um, purpose in life was figuring out how do I stay, how do I abide in the presence of Jesus in the chaos of the kitchen. If you go and you read his writings, you talk he talks about the monks are coming in and wanting all sorts of things and wanting dishes washed and wanting him to do things. And there's all this kind of chaos. If you've ever been in a kitchen where there's a lot of people, it's kind of noisy and loud. And and for him it is how do I practice the presence? How do I abide in the Spirit? How do I abide with Jesus? in the midst of the daily life. Brother Lawrence wasn't some special saint. He was simply a dishwasher who dedicated himself to doing all of life in God's presence. But abiding in God's presence takes practice. It doesn't happen by accident. We We often think that there are like spiritual people and people who are less spiritual, right? Well, they just... It just comes naturally to them And it does Like There are some people who are wired in a way That they're just more spiritual Like they, 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 The way their brain works It's just easier for them to pray It doesn't make them better or you any worse But there are some people that are just better at it But even if you are one of those people right, Where it's just easier for you to pray It's still It takes practice Abiding in God's presence takes practice And it particularly takes practice In the chaos of our urban digital world it takes more intentionality than ever before because you, are, you never have to be alone with your thoughts. The moment you start to get a bit anxious or the moment you start to feel a bit bored or the moment you actually start to feel just about any emotion, you can reach for your iPhone and something will distract you. There is a, the world is at your fingertips. By the way, there's the research that is coming out what social media and what iPhones are doing to our brains is fascinating. Do you know that the middle of the bell curve, the average person, most of you in this room, you touch your phone 2,600 times a day. 2,600 times a day. And the average person the middle of the bell curve, which means some of you are higher than this, are on your phone two and a half hours a day. But at the same time, the rates of depression particularly among young people, and the rate of teen suicide is skyrocketing because even though we are more connected to the world than ever before, we are more isolated than we've ever been. And we need to remember, Charla, my wife and I, were just talking about maybe we need to teach Eloise, our daughter, uh, when, as she gets older, about algorithms and about how algorithms are, tr- are fixed to, like, addict us, right? Because what happens is, f- is Instagram is really good at pushing certain photos to the top of your feed of all your friends out having a really good time, and you are sitting at home. Now, the truth is, 94% of your other friends are also sitting at home looking at that same photo, but in that moment, you feel that everyone else in the world has friends and has Having, you know, having fun and you are the only Person sitting alone by yourself right? it, begin, it is driving us into A spiral but that is not the point Of this sermon the point of the Sermon is it takes more Intentionality to practice the way of Jesus Than ever before The practices of Jesus are essential There are other words we use for these Words I, le- I like less But things like spiritual Disciplines right that's the other word we Use for this but these practices, these disciplines allow us to abide with Jesus during everyday life. But they are not an end in and of themselves. Sometimes we elevate Scripture, reading Scripture or prayer or whatever the end is like, whatever the thing might be, as kind of like an end in and of itself. It is holy simply because of the thing that it is, right? We fast because fasting is good or holy, right? No, these things are not an end in and of themselves. They have a goal, and that goal is to shape us and to form us into people who look like Jesus. The goal is for us to abide with Jesus. Silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, reading scripture. These practices shape and deform us. We don't read the Bible for knowledge, but we read the Bible so these stories can shape who we're becoming. We pray to connect with Jesus. These practices have a purpose. And I'm getting ahead of myself just a bit. We'll talk more about this. But most of us, in some way or another, are trying to become better people, right? If I were to ask most of you, like, are you trying to become a better person? Yeah, sure, I'm not trying to become a worse person, right? We're trying like, to be less angry, trying to be less, I don't know, judgmental, we're trying to be less jealous. Right? You've all got your like, thing you're trying to be better at. Particularly, I mean, we're now at the end of February. Most of you, your New Year's resolutions have just about failed, so you're gonna believe what I'm about ready to say. The problem is, is that as we try to be better people, less angry, more loving, whatever, is it takes willpower, and willpower is in short supply. There's all these research studies that show the harder you try, the more willpower you dedicate to one area, the less willpower you have for other areas. And so it ends up just gritting your teeth and trying to be a better person. It stops working at some point because your willpower is depleted. You have to be shaped and formed into people who just naturally are less angry, who love more. But it's not like a one and done thing. It is a lifetime of practice. But when we abide with Jesus, we begin to look like Jesus. Jesus. Okay, now, the more practical among you are about ready to explode. You're like, okay, I, seriously, I, I get this. I love it, Jesus abiding. Okay, I'm with you. But what does this look like practically? How do we abide with the Spirit in our daily lives in and in our crazy jobs in a world of digital overload? How do we experience the life of Jesus? The way we experience the life of Jesus is we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me say that again. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus, following the path of Jesus, is not simply about believing the right things. Because we've been fed a lie that basically told us to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, to be a disciple, was all about knowledge. The problem is knowledge does not lead to, to good fruit in your life. It takes practice. So here is a little bit something practical. There are people who run. There are runners. I am not, but I run, but I am not a runner. But there are runners. Some of you are runners, right? Like a marathon. If, I were to, if you were to ask me to run a marathon with you, I would break out in hives and start sweating and become very anxious and then I would realize that during the middle of the marathon I would probably die. But there are some of you, you are some of you who are runners and if someone were to ask you, hey, do you want to run a marathon with me in a few months? Like, you'd be like, oh, I am all about that. And runners, runners, it's they wouldn't hardly break a sweat. And the reason is, is because they have trained themselves. They live a certain lifestyle. They eat a certain way. You sleep a certain way. If you practice for a marathon, like if you, if you run a marathon before, most of you don't keep up this habit. You don't stay runners. But you get like a glimpse of what it means to be a runner, someone who's dedicated to running. Um, you sleep a certain way you practice a certain way you eat certain things you train a certain way you've got little apps on your phone that tell you today is your short run and your long run and then there are like Saturdays where you run 20,000 miles and I just I don't get it but anyway some of you do this There's a lifestyle adapted to this. There are a million things in our life that we want. We want to be more athletic or smarter or musical or whatever the thing is that we want, but often we don't want to commit to the lifestyle that it takes to make these things happen. There's a pastor that I really enjoy his work, and he said, your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. Your life is the byproduct of your rituals and your routines the way you spend your time and your money the way you spend your headspace shapes who you are becoming to get just a bit more practical Jesus tells us he gives us this promise my peace I leave you with. My peace I give you. I do not give as this world. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says I give you peace. Now the problem is many of you would consider yourselves followers of Jesus but peace is not something you have in abundance. So how is it that we get this peace? Well, we start by looking at Jesus' life. We start by looking at Jesus' lifestyle. How did Jesus live? First, Jesus was unhurried. Jesus like just kind of ambled wherever he went and which bothers me because i like to walk fast and like to get but jesus seems to have time to like stop and chat with people and like hang out with kids and just like spend the day on a mountain talking jesus was unhurried jesus loved to spend time in community everywhere he went he took his followers he took a party with him jesus loved to party and just to have fun this is actually one of the things the Pharisees end up getting really upset about. As they're like, do you know that you're the, the guy who you're following like is like hang, like partying all the time? If you don't believe me, read the gospels. He he spent time alone. Jesus would withdraw to have time with the Father. He spent time in prayer. Now, this is my favorite. Jesus spent time sleeping. Have you ever thought about how many times we read in the Gospels that Jesus was, like, asleep? Jesus actually sleeps a fair bit, which is just a really interesting, like, thing to slip into. You know, you're writing about the person who, you, who you're, like, proclaiming is the Savior of the world, and then you also just slip into it. He slept a fair bit. And, in fact, some really, like, pivotal times, they're, like, they're kind of pissed because Jesus is sleeping, and they're like, why aren't you more freaked? He slept a lot. Jesus would Sabbath. Jesus lived simply. He didn't carry a lot around with him. So many of us are over busy. We're always on our phone. We're always rushing from one appointment to the next. We are always trying to become more efficient. I love efficiency. We're buying more than we need. We're overfilling our calendars and overstretching our budgets and our pocketbooks. And then we wonder why we don't experience peace. Our lifestyle looks nothing like the lifestyle of Jesus, and then we're like, Jesus, why did you lie? You told us if we followed you that we would have peace, and I have nothing but anxiety. Peace isn't a transfer thing, it is a byproduct of following the way of Jesus by following the lifestyle of Jesus. So if you want the peace of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And this isn't, again, this isn't like something where you just, it's a one and done thing. So you're gonna go home today, you're gonna get, I mean, maybe some of you will, you're so, such overachievers. But like most of us, you're not gonna like write down these seven things, put them up on your fridge, and then just like peace you'll have. This is like a practice. This is something I am trying to get better at. But here's just a few of the core things. And we are all different. Different things in this list are gonna resonate with different ones of us. But silence and solitude, Right? Jesus takes time for silence and solitude. Are you taking at least like 10 minutes a day just for silence? What to look there's actually a great app called Headspace you can put it on your phone. It's for meditation but essentially it's just teaching you to be silent. It's teaching you to sit, teaching you to turn your mind off just for a moment and slow down. Because if we are constantly busy, if we're constantly doing things, even if we're constantly just reading scripture, we're not letting God speak to us because we, are, we, we sometimes are afraid to be still because we're afraid of what God might say. Silence and solitude. The next is prayer. Um, there are all sorts of different ways to pray. We are different. One of my favorite ways to pray is the fixed hour prayers. There's a little book by Phyllis Tickle called The Divine Hours, um, and it's th- prayers for three times a day: morning, noon, and af- or morning, noon, and evening. Just these short prayers that you just take just a few minutes and re- uh, and pray. Um, another is fasting. Another is reading Scripture. There's a couple of great apps for reading Scripture um, that some will work you through scripture in a year others will work you through um, certain sections of scripture and then the psalms there are a few apps out there um, that will just continue to take you through the psalms over and over and over again one of the most powerful and richly packed books in all of scripture are the psalms sabbath like, oh, Charlie and I have been talking about what it'd look like, and we haven't figured out how to make this happen. But for us, literally, to have like an old school Sabbath from like sundown Friday to sunup or sundown on Saturday, right? 24 hours where you just chill and hang out, and you won't schedule anything with anyone unless it's joyful and life giving, and you just hang out. What it look like? How would your life be different if you had an actual Sabbath or community? Right? You prioritize community and this is another like rabbit trail that I'm not going to go down but like we all say we we want community but we don't even know how to be in community. We don't know how to commit ourselves to another person, to a group of people. I mean one of the challenges when you're working with with like the the kind of the demographic that lives in DC, one of the challenges is we don't know how to commit ourselves. And so all too often like we commit to do something and then at the last minute like that text pops up. Yeah, I decided not to come tonight. I mean if you I mean you know it both because you've received the text and because you've sent the text. (laughs) Community takes commitment. And then the final one is simple living. Removing clutter from your life. There's so many things cluttering up your life and just making your life more difficult. What are the things in Jesus' life that connects with you? And we're all different. This isn't like something that we're all going to go out and do all of these tomorrow, and if you do, you'll just end up overstressed. This won't be easy because our lives and our world are so different than the way that Jesus lives. Everything else is trying to force us to live the opposite way. I mean, literally, technology companies try to figure out how to addict us to our phones. There are forces, some might say powers and principalities at work in our world that are trying to get us to live differently than the way of Jesus. And this won't be easy. This won't be easy. So here's what I want. Short term, just, just like this week, try this. Each day, 10 minutes, silence and solitude. You know, at the end of this week, you can give it up. But like for one week, commit seven days. It's like 70 minutes of silence and solitude. Beg- I would recommend you begin your day with this. Like find a. I mean, it's hard. I have a kid, and every time I get up in the morning, and because I'm going to do like have my time of silence and solitude. Charlie's still awake, and I get up, and we have a, a a house with hardwood floors. And as I'm walking, like I creak. i oh, like crap, and the baby cries. And I, and I know it's hard. Find a space at the office. Like get a closet. I don't know. 10 minutes <laughs> slow down quiet your mind be with Jesus and then long term simplify your life down to what really matters slowly cut out all the extra and slowly begin adding the practices of Jesus into your life it has the power to transform your life Jesus has come Jesus says i have come that you may have life and have it abundantly But we will never experience the life that Jesus has to offer us if we don't adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, some of you have not ever made the leap to follow Jesus. Some of you have made the commitment, made that leap, but you are so far afield. And during the season of Lent, I would just ask you to begin to ask yourselves, like, what would it look like if you were to make a full-on, all-out commitment to following the way of Jesus? I'm not asking you to like sign in some dotted line or to believe all these certain things, or whatever. But what if you just begin to follow the way of Jesus? Say, Jesus, I, I, I want you to be king and ruler of my life. I'm going to commit myself to following your way. I'm not committing my. I know that I'm not perfect and I'm going to mess things up, but I want the life that you offer. I want the peace that you offer. I want the joy that you offer. So many of us have been been hurt and we've been wounded and we've been manipulated that we have equated following Jesus with something it was never meant to be. Jesus comes to bring freedom. He comes to bring life. But he does ask for something. He does ask us to take a leap and to follow him. It's not simply this one and done, you say a prayer and all of a sudden everything's okay and you go back to leading this other way. The call of Jesus is yes, to make that commitment, to start the journey, but it is a lifetime journey of following Jesus. And if you haven't made that commitment, if you haven't taken that leap, I would encourage you over the next few weeks just to begin to ask yourself, what is the thing that is standing in your way? And then on Easter Sunday, my invitation would be, if you have not yet been baptized and made that public commitment that I have decided to follow Jesus in front of a commitment to yourself and a commitment to others, that like, look, I am totally sold out to this Jesus thing. I, I know, I don't get all these other Christians and all this weird stuff, and I don't know about all that. All I know is I want to follow Jesus. And so I'm just going to say a prayer at the end. Um, and if you have not made that commitment, I want to invite you to say that, to make that commitment. And, and for others of you, I, you're not even ready. Or you're not even ready to make that commitment. But just begin to ask God to begin to open your hearts and your mind uh, over the next few weeks as we go through this series. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for I thank you for the Gospels. I thank you for the lifestyle of Jesus, the way that he models to us what it means to, to love and what it means to live simply and what it, means to, what it means to be people who have peace. And for those of us here this, this morning that have not yet become followers of yours, I pray that you would just begin to invite and to woo, to come to ask us to follow you God, we are committing ourselves in spite of our doubts, in spite of the questions, we're committing ourselves to follow after you. I pray that you'd empower and embolden us. I pray that your strength would be made perfect in our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.